Well, good morning, Grace Fishers. Uh, it is good to be here this morning. Uh, so glad that you're joining together, whether you're here in the room uh, or if you're with us online, maybe you're even watching after the fact. Uh, it's always a great thing when the church gathers to worship. And, and looking at those pictures of the student retreat, I can't help but think of the holidays approaching with the snow and, and maybe you're uh, getting your Christmas lights out, maybe you're an overachiever, they're already hung up. Uh, I don't know, I'm kind of in between. But I love the holidays. It's uh, just one of my favorite times of the year. And one of the reasons that it's one of my favorite times is because we get to gather together as a church. We kind of have that countdown for the final few weekends of the year. And I'm so excited for what's in store for us. And so I hope that you'll be able to join us, whether it's here in the room or if it's online. We have a great few weekends planned uh, as we finish out the remainder of 2022. Well, I remember it like it happened yesterday. It was June 2017, and a worship team took the stage and led us in songs and scriptures that declared the glory of the Lord. They reminded us of these truths that, that death is not the end, and we are alive in Christ. And the Holy Spirit led us to engage with every fiber of our being. And so we stood in awe of God. We raised our hands in worship of him. We jumped up and down. We even, we even clapped our hands celebrating what he has done. We bowed our heads in reverence. We kneeled. It was one of the most powerfully engaging worship services I've ever been a part of and it will forever remain etched in my memory. You know, for the last two weeks, we've been moving through this series called Worship Matters. And as you can guess, we've been discussing some worship matters along the way. And we've asked several questions. We've talked about the who of worship, what is worship, where and when do we worship, why it matters. And I'm so excited uh, for these last two weeks of this series, and it's really just been a, a great series altogether for us as a church. I'd encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first two weeks, to, to go back to our app, our YouTube channel, and uh, check it out. It's just been really a good time for all of us together. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a small town, and in our small town church, when it came to worship services, we were a pretty stoic bunch, okay? We just weren't a very uh, physically expressive church. You basically, you, you stood, you, you sat, you bowed your head in prayer. And if you were one of those odd folks that occasionally like raised their hand in worship or like was any movement, I mean, you would cause whiplash. <laughs> I mean, the congregation would be like, what was that? That's just the environment that I grew up in. It, you, were, you were basically kind of taught, like, don't draw any attention to yourself. You don't want to be seen as showy or, or anything like that. And hear me on this. I love the church that I grew up in. That church was so formative for me in my experience and my growth as a follower of Jesus. I, I love the church that I grew up in. But I can look back and recognize that when it comes to worship and spiritual formation, my journey was far from complete. 
considering where it began. One of my college professors made a statement very early on in my studies, and it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It, it has stuck with me to this day. And he was, he was talking to us about the importance of never arriving and always growing, always learning. And he warned us of becoming stagnant or, or becoming stalled in, in our formation as, we've de as we develop as followers of Jesus. And he said this. He said, if you are no longer teachable, then you already are who you will become. I love that. That's good. If you're no longer teachable, then you already are who you will become. It goes against one of my least favorite quotes that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I just just bothers me. It's kind of a defeatist mentality, like, oh, just cash it in. This is who I am. I love this quote because it calls us to something deeper, something richer, to continue growing. When we began this series, we said that, that worship is a journey. It's, it's a path that we walk. It's this lifelong process of developing and forming to be more and more like Christ, ultimately transformed by the power of God. And I hope and pray that I am not already who I will become. And I hope and pray that the worshiper that I am today is not the worshiper that I will be tomorrow or the next day or the next or the next. I must remain teachable and with humility be open to what God has in store for me on this journey of worship. Now, throughout the Bible, worship is not so much defined as it is described, right? We talked about that in week one. It's not so much defined as it is described. Worship is, is all throughout the Bible, described in so many different ways. And this morning, we want to spend some time looking at the how of worship, how worship is described, and how, how we worship, how it matters. And we're not going to fully answer this question Today, I mean, this whole series, we're, we're only scratching the surface of what, of what worship is. So we won't answer that question fully, but we do want to spend a few moments in the Bible and more specifically focus on how we physically express our worship to God. Because worship is engaging. It is engaging all of us, all that we are. Early on in the Bible, the nation of Israel is given the Shema. And the Shema was this Hebrew declaration. It was, a, it was a guiding truth for this people. And we see Jesus reiterating the Shema in the New Testament when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he responded. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This was the Shema, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every fiber of our being engaged in the love and the adoration and the praise of our God. And I believe that the Shema can serve as a guidepost for us when it comes to the how of worship, how we worship with, with all that we are. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in a church that wasn't really like a hand-raising church, if you grew up that way, then you may have really focused on the intellectual aspects of worship. You may have really focused on, on the mind and on the heart, what you know about Jesus, and maybe didn't spend as much time on the strength, 
the physical aspects of worship. But we must remember that we have been created in the image of God. And he has created us as physical beings. Therefore, we've been given the ability to physically express our worship. And so I just want to take a small sampling of, of the Bible just very quickly to, to take, a, take a look and see what this looks like. What does the Bible have to say about our strength and our physical expression of worship? So I'm going to throw 10 verses up on the screen. I'm just going to go through this really quickly. Old Testament to New. Second Samuel, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. In Nehemiah, praise the Lord, the great God. All the people raised their arms in the air and answered, amen, amen. They knelt in worship with their faces to the ground. And through the Psalms, we see verses such as, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And in Acts, we read, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Biblical worship involves physical expressions. And I think we can see these as gifts that are given to us. And I believe that physical acts of worship are simply outward expressions of internal realities. Physical acts of worship are outward expressions of internal realities. If you think about it, our bodies naturally reflect what affects us. Right? I mean, when I'm, when I'm watching my team on TV, I jump up from the couch when they score a touchdown. I'm excited. I celebrate. I clap my hands. Or if I hear um, uh, fingernails on the chalkboard, ugh, like it makes me cringe. Or if my kids come running to me with arms open wide, I open my arms wide ready to embrace them. Or if I'm sitting with a friend who has just dealt with a tragedy, I, I cry tears of sorrow. I, I share in their pain. Our bodies naturally reflect what is affecting us. And so I have to ask myself, why would my body not reflect what my mind is comprehending and what my heart is feeling when I come to worship? For years, I've had to work through some of these questions about worship, and I still am, because it's a journey, right? It's a process, and, and I'm continuing to do so. And honestly, some things just don't come naturally to me. They're not embedded deeply within me. Maybe, maybe you can relate. Maybe you've experienced this. And so I think I should stop right here and, and just say, make this caveat. Please hear me on this. The last thing that I want for this morning to be about, the last thing that I want to happen is for us to feel judged or pressured to perform in a certain way when we gather to worship. Okay, that, that is the last thing. That is not my heart. That is not the heart of Grace Fishers. The church should not be a place of, of manipulation or shame or, or anything like that. So, so I hope you just take a deep breath. Hear my heart on this. The heart of our church is that we would continue to unbox and unpack worship 
our understanding of it, but also our practice of it so that we keep our eyes on Jesus and we grow closer to him, engaging with him, encountering him as we gather as a church. But if you'll, if you'll allow me, let me share just a little bit of what I've experienced in this journey. Because when it comes to being physically expressive, I used to say, I'm just not wired that way. Like, I, I, I'm just not wired that way. And that's a true statement. And I get it that we all are wired differently, right? And, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of this variety and this diversity uh, with which we are as created beings of God. And so growing up, naturally, I was not an expressive person. Just ask my wife. <laughs> when she started coming around my family, she was shocked that we didn't hug. We weren't huggers. Like, I just, I just, I see some smiles. Maybe you're not a hugger either. Like, I just didn't grow up that way. And so she came around my family and was just, you know, a little shocked because she came from a family of huggers. And when we began our marriage, I quickly realized, oh, we're going to be a family of huggers. That's <laughs> how we're going to roll. And so, and so I, I embraced that paradigm, and, and I had to reframe my line of thinking. I had to, had to change my behavior. And, and I'll tell you, I was really given a gift through this. I quickly realized that the more I engage in every aspect of my marriage and my family, the greater and richer my marriage and family would be. So now I'm a hugger. I'm like Olaf. I like warm hugs, okay? <laughs> My two-year-old daughter's into Frozen. It's my world right now, so that's, that's just where I am. But I hug my family. I embrace my children. I've even brought some of this into my own family, and, and now, now we're huggers on, on my side. But I've just embraced this because I'm seeking to love these people, not just with my words, but with my whole being with all that I am, heart, soul, mind, and strength. My outward expressions are matching my internal realities. And I'll tell you, I want my worship to be richer and greater as I develop as a, as a disciple of Jesus. I want to reflect the heart of the psalmist when he declares, my whole being rejoices in God, my Savior. But I'll tell you, there are times when I come into church, in corporate worship, and I've said, you know what, I am just not feeling it today. I'm not feeling it. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm just going to kind of sit this one out. And listen, I wholeheartedly believe that we should always strive to be true and authentic and, and genuine in the worship that we bring before our God. But something that that has been helpful for me, that's helped me reframe my line of thinking, and, and maybe this is helpful for you too. Uh, again, this is a journey, but I've started asking different questions. Instead of asking, do I feel like it? I've started to ask, is he worthy of it? And that's just been a, a good tool for me in my journey. Instead of asking, do I feel like it? I ask, is he worthy of it? Because one answer far outweighs the other. I need to confess something. And I, I think it's okay to do this here. This is a safe space. Sometimes my kids are not my favorite people in the whole world. <laughs> I said it. Safe space. I mean, I... 
listen, I love my kids, but they can get on my nerves. I can lose my patience. Maybe you can relate. I love them, but sometimes, oh, it's just part of it. For instance, my five-year-old, Grant. I love Grant, man. He's such a good kid. He's so much fun. There are times that I do not feel like reciprocating the affection that he offers, okay? Grant is a hugger, gets that from his mom, and physical touch is just his love language. And there are times when he is acting rotten and he's just been on my last nerve and, and he comes running to me with his arms open wide and I'm like, it takes everything within me to not, you know, just be like that because, oh, he just, you know, it, it happens. But I hug him, right? I open my arms and I give him a kiss. I, I embrace my children, even though I may not feel like it in the moment. But I let my physical expression lead my heart and my mind. And before I know it, my heart begins to soften and my mind starts to catch up to where it needs to be. In fact, there are times that my family, it's, it's like this beautiful collision of everybody having a horrible day, and, and we're just on each other's nerves, we're just not getting along, we're just kind of at our wits end, and, and we can tell when this happens. So you know what we, we used to do, we haven't done this in a while? Dance party. We would dance it out. We'd turn on some music, turn it up really loud, and we'd just start acting silly, and we'd just start dancing and moving around. And before you know it, we were smiling, and things were smoothing out a little bit. Now, I promised my wife I wouldn't show any video of this, so I, I apologize. You don't, you don't get to see a, the, a picture of this actually taking place. But we let our bodies lead our hearts and our minds and our souls. And I think the same can be true of worship. I know I've experienced this. Even when my heart doesn't seem to be affected by what I'm praying or what I'm hearing, what, what I'm reading or, or what I'm singing, I can trust that perhaps expressing my devotion to God physically can stir up those affections. But what about the times when you've got nothing left in the tank? What about those moments when you are just utterly defeated? Uh, you're, you're just so depleted. What about those times when you unexpectedly lose a loved one? For no good reason, you lose your job. Your son or your daughter gets arrested. Or you don't get the lead in, in the school play that you thought you were a shoe-in for. Or, or you don't make the team. What happens when your world comes crashing down, when the pain strikes and when the storm comes, how do we worship? You know, I'm not going to pretend that it's easy because it is not. It's not easy. But last week we were reminded by our group's pastor, Nathaniel, that we have been given the gift of lament. And we can find solace in lament. Because lament helps us understand how we can worship through the pain. Honest outpourings from, from postures of, of tragedy and heartbreak and defeat. And the voices of the Psalms in the Bible, they, they do this so well. My soul is in anguish. How long, Lord? How long? 
Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These voices that have gone long before us show us the way to God in the midst of life's difficulties. And so I lift my eyes to the heavens, trusting that my help comes from the Lord. Or I I open my palms just asking, why, God? Why? Remind me of your goodness. Or I I, I cry tears of sorrow because that's just my heart's posture in the moment. Or I sit with my head bowed, humbly asking for answers, seeking strength and sustaining. You know, sometimes I have to worship through the pain, and once again, my body leads my heart, my mind, and my soul. But the good news is, it's not all on me to engage in worship. Okay, this is, this is good news, because worship, it, it's a corporate activity, the body of Christ. When we come together, we depend upon each other when we engage in worship. And I just love the shared experience of coming together, engaging with and encountering Jesus. And if you're like me, you've, you've really felt this deficit the last several years through, through COVID-19 when we couldn't meet together, when, when we weren't standing shoulder to shoulder supporting and encouraging one another. But now that, that we've, you know, kind of been turning the corner, I cherish these times that the church is together. There are times that my engagement in corporate worship is elevated by the church. When I am struggling, the voices and the postures of those around me remind me that my God is good. When I'm in despair, the the body of Christ sustains me as she participates in worship, and that's why participation matters. And I'm going to throw out a phrase. It's got four words. They all start with P, but it helps me to remember this. And I truly believe that your participation is paramount for the people who are present. When talking about the gathered assembly, when we talk about the church coming together, your participation is paramount for the people who are present. That's the great thing about the Holy Spirit. You never know the the ways that the Spirit is working in people. And you never know when it's going to be someone's moment of breakthrough in worship. And we get to be a part of that simply by showing up and participating. And it's a beautiful thing. And this isn't just about corporate worship when we gather as a church. The how of worship extends to every other aspect of life. We encourage each other. We are there for each other. Uh, We help one another encounter Jesus. And that might be simply through texting a friend, an an encouraging word, or some nugget of truth in Scripture that you found, or, or letting somebody know that you've been praying for them. We need each other as we continue engaging in worship as the true worshipers the Father is seeking, those who worship in spirit and in truth. Micah Wakeman was a great, a great man of God. (sighs) 
Michael was a firefighter. He was an EMT. He was a church elder. He was a student sponsor. He was a church property manager. He was a modern-day Renaissance man, and he was my friend. And above all, I would say Micah is the greatest servant of God I've ever met. Ah, it's still hard to talk about it, but tragedy struck our small town in Mount Pulaski, Illinois, when it received news of Micah's death in a farming accident. Hundreds of people converged on Mount Pulaski. And in this small town of 1,400 people, over 1,000 people showed up to his funeral. And when I say funeral, what I actually mean is worship service. Because Micah, oh, he loved to worship. And I remember it like it happened yesterday. It was June 2017. A worship team took the stage and led us in songs and scriptures that declared the glory of God. And they reminded us of these powerful truths that death is not the end. And we are alive in Christ. And leading that service was Micah's oldest daughter, a high schooler. How she did it, I'll never know. Only by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And when our hearts seemed numb, when our minds were in shock and our souls could not comprehend this tragedy, the Holy Spirit led us by our strength to the place of worship. To fully engage with every ounce of our being. And so we stood in awe of God. We raised our hands. We cried many tears. We lifted our heads. We lifted our eyes to the heavens. Believe it or not, we even jumped up and down. We were celebrating and we were clapping our hands for the glory of the Lord. We bowed in reverence. We kneeled. We worshiped through the pain because death is not the end. And we do not grieve as those who have no hope. It was one of the most powerfully engaging worship services I ever experienced. And it will forever remain etched in my memory. And I believe that many walked into that room thinking, I don't feel like it. But we quickly realized, as Micah would have wanted us to, that God is worthy of it. When we come together as a church, man, it is a special time. Like, I love these moments that we gather as a church, knowing that we're gathering with churches all, all across the world to celebrate our God and what he's done. And again, let me just reiterate, there's no pressure to perform a certain way in worship. Worship is so vast. It's not, it's not what it's about to perform a certain way. It's about encountering Jesus in any and every way possible because he is here. He is present with us. I think we have to remind ourselves of that constantly, keep that in front of us. The very first week of this series, the Apostle Paul reminded us that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord 
works among us, we become more and more like him. But there's a verse that comes right before that one, and it says this. The Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As believers in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives within us, and we have that promise, and there is freedom. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so because there is no condemnation, we worship as people of freedom. Jesus has liberated us from sin and death. He has paid the price, and he has made a way. And that is where we stand. That is who we are in Christ. We are people of freedom, and it is good. So church, I just want to encourage all of us. Embrace the freedom that you have been given each and every day of your lives. And let us worship the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Because God is worthy of it. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are so good. We thank you for the gift of being able to worship you. Lord, for drawing, drawing us in, drawing us closer, being near to us. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us, but also sustains us, even when we can't explain it. When we have no explanation, God, you are with us, and we thank you for that. Lord, we of all people have this great truth that Jesus has redeemed us. He has rescued us, and we have a reason to celebrate, God. And we thank you for the freedom that you have given to us. Lord, help us to walk that out every day of our lives. To live in your freedom. To declare your glory, God, in all that we do and all that we say, all that we are. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified. Be lifted high. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.